reading is taken from Matthew chapter 13 from verse 24. The parable of the weeds. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed ears, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where did the weeds come from? And anybody did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling, uh, pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, First, collect the weeds and, uh, and, and buy them in bundles to be burnt. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. And there, then verse 36. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burnt in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out, uh, weed out his kingdom everything that causes sin and all, all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Okay, we're we're beginning a a new series. We've concluded the studies in the book of Ruth. We're beginning a new series today. We'll have one session this afternoon. Then we'll be starting it again, uh, not next week, the week after. It's going to be, the the, the, uh, title that I've given it is uh, Tales of the Kingdom which might seem a bit of a strange title initially. But if you've got the opportunity, in fact, can I encourage you, uh, over this next week or so, uh, get hold of your Bible and just read Matthew uh, from beginning to end. It's Matthew's account of the life of Jesus. And one of the things that Matthew again and again seems to come back to he starts to, he reiterates this in so many different ways. He talks about Jesus as king and he talks about the kingdom of God. In fact, he uses the many occasions, more than any of the other gospel writers, he uses the many occasions where Jesus talks about his kingdom. Uh, this series, in fact, is based on that. The fact that Jesus on many occasions talked about his kingdom But he also used a phrase. He used this phrase, the kingdom of heaven is like. And then he told a story, uh, which is why we've got tales of the kingdom, stories of the kingdom. Uh, And the reason that Jesus told those stories was so that those who were hearing him, those who were listening, could respond or otherwise to what Jesus was saying about his kingdom. I guess straight away, as we first come to that, we've got to, we've got to take our, our minds back, take our thinking back to the idea of kingdom. You know, what, very often when we read things in the Bible, in fact, I would say all the time, 
can I encourage you to do this? Whenever you read the Bible, whenever you, you, you're working through a little bit of text or you, you come into a particular passage and it seems really strange or it's saying things which, which seem hard to understand or difficult for us to come to terms with today, one of the most important things for us to do when we come to the Bible is to say this, ask this question. What would it have meant for us to read this in the time that the first readers of this particular bit of the Bible heard this message? That is so important. What was the, what, how did they hear it? Uh, and therefore, having understood how they heard it, we can then apply that to, well, what does that mean for us today? Kingdoms, as we read kingdoms now, don't really quite mean the same as kingdoms in the first century. We think of kingdom and we think of, for example, as we are, the United Kingdom. And we think of uh, a geographical bit of territory. Uh, but we were, we're actually thinking about, well, how did the first reader hear this? Matthew wrote some time after Jesus. How did, how did the first readers understand kingdom? What was, what was the world like at that time? We'll remind ourselves we've got the first, um, we've got the empire of Rome that's just exploded over a few hundred years before Jesus, has grown, has become the most powerful empire that the world had seen up to that point in time, arguably, uh, and uh, had expanded and developed and grown over much of the known world. Uh, that was an empire. Uh, but before that, there was the notion, there was the idea of a kingdom. Uh, and a kingdom was, was something which was under one person's rule, and that rule was consistent right across the kingdom, and that kingdom might expand and grow as that king who was ruling over that kingdom took uh, control and, and uh, conquered other parts of surrounding areas. And so the kingdom would grow, but it would come under very clear sets of rules and, and it would come under a particularly defined way of being, if you like. That's different to an empire. Uh, back in the uh, 14th century, Nicolau Machiavelli, which is where we get the Machiavellian term, uh, to be Machiavellian is to some, somebody who's, who's kind of cunning and deceitful to get something uh, that they want. Uh, somebody who's ruthless. You've heard that term. Machiavelli, Machiavelli was, was a, a political leader in Florence, in Italy. And um, he wrote a book called The Prince. And Machiavelli, as he was writing this book, looked back at various uh, developments of political power. And the reason that uh, Machiavelli... Uh, has uh, the idea that, of being Machiavellian is that, that Machiavelli saw that power was the thing. Establishing your power, establishing your rule as the prince. Uh, and therefore it is totally reasonable and acceptable uh, for you to use whatever means uh, a balance of fear and kind of benevolent love, if you like, towards those who are part of your kingdom. You use all of those combinations uh, to establish your power. 
And he he looked back at the way various kingdoms had arisen. And one of the things that he noticed uh, was that kingdoms or empires particularly worked like this. And we see this in the Bible reflected in the Old Testament as well. Uh, uh, An empire would grow, but it wouldn't grow by becoming one huge kingdom. It wouldn't grow by becoming one set of established rules right the way through the whole of the power base. Uh, what would happen is that the, the bright young things of the conquered territory would be taken away, would be whisked away, they would be kind of indoctrinated with the principles and the ideas of, of the king or of the, the, the empire, and then they would be taken back so that they would then rule their land. And the rules there wouldn't quite match the rules in another part of the empire, but the general principle the kind of ethos, if you like, and therefore the establishment of power by stealth and cunning would be achieved. Uh, And it would be different in every different place. That's an empire. So the first reader who heard Jesus talking about a kingdom, they are now, at that point in their history, they are living under the Roman Empire. The rules in, in Judea and Palestine were different to the rules in Rome. But they were still under the authority of Caesar. They lived differently. They lived differently in Caesarea. They lived differently in North Africa, in the areas of Egypt. And yet they all came under this overarching empire. And Jesus comes in and he starts talking about something which for the first reader would have been maybe a little bit antiquated. The idea of a kingdom The idea of the establishment of one rule, one leader, one consistent authority over the whole dominion. Wow. And Jesus came in, and in one sense, for the Jews, they would think, great, kingdom. Because we understand kingdom. Kingdom means the establishment again of the great king kingdom uh, of Israel. The kind of great rule that we've had historically in the past. We get rid of the Roman leaders. We get established again. And Jesus comes in and he starts talking about his kingdom. And, and then he uses different pictures to say the kingdom of heaven is like this. So we're going to look at one of those stories that he told today. In fact, we're going to look at what each of the stories bit by bit uh, and see what, what Jesus is teaching us uh, as he starts to bring out this idea that I am here to establish a new kingdom. I am here to bring something new. Uh, Let's have a look then at this reading that we've got. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 34. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like. You see that phrase that he uses. The kingdom of heaven is like. And then he goes out to tell this story. There's this this guy goes out and he sows seed. Spreads seed out on the land that he's got. Uh, And then it says that he, he goes and he sleeps. Uh, And while he's sleeping, the enemy, his enemy, comes in. Notice that. The enemy of the man who's sown the seed comes in and starts sowing other seeds. The seeds that he sows are seeds of weeds in amongst the the good crop. 
Now, that was not uncommon. It was something that, that would be understood. You know, it was kind of uh, agri- agricultural uh, guerrilla warfare, I guess. You know, you hate your neighbor, you go and sow weeds amongst his good seed. Uh, that's something which a farmer would immediately understand. That's, that is a real enemy. That's somebody who hates me. Uh, and actually, if you look at it, that is the, that's potentially uh, death. That means that, that my crop is threatened, my livelihood is threatened, my food supply is threatened. And, and uh, we see now that the, the servants of this owner come to him and say, didn't you sow good seed? But look what's happening. All of these weeds are sprouting up. Uh, what's going on? Shall we, go, shall we go now? And shall we get rid of all of the weeds while it's all growing? Shall we go and we start trying to separate out? And the, the, land, the landowner says, no, don't worry. We'll wait. We'll let them both grow up together. And then once we've allowed them to grow up together, when it comes time for harvest, what we'll do first is we'll, we'll go and we'll collect in all of the weeds. He's kind of saying, look, I know that you're reasonably good farmers, but right at this point in time, it's not really clear which one is which. That's kind of what he's saying. Because he says you might go and you might uproot weeds with good crop. He's not, clearly he's not saying if you pull up one, it might sort of disturb the soil because he's suggesting that they do just that in the future. <coughs> He's saying, while it's growing up as green shoots, uh, many of us have farmland around here. You know what it's like at this time of year. You look out and it just looks like a grassy field, doesn't it? You know, to be honest, if, if, a, if a garden, if I went into a garden, uh, I couldn't tell the difference. Some of you could. I'm impressed, mildly. Uh, <laughs> Some of you could tell the difference between weeds and, and kind of plants. Uh, but I couldn't. If I went out to go and weed in a garden at this time of year, I'd just pull up everything, really, or do nothing. Because I can't tell the difference. Uh, and that's kind of what the farmer is saying. Look, let's wait. Let's wait, and by the time harvest comes, it will become clear which is which. What, one lot will clearly be wheat, and one lot will clearly be weeds. At that point, what we'll do is we'll get rid of the weeds... We'll gather them together, and then he, he just brings this evocative little picture of exactly what the farmers would understand. You know, at the end of harvest, we'll have a big bonfire. You know that smoky fire that goes off on the fields at the end of every year? We'll have that big bonfire burning, and, and we'll gather it in. We'll chuck it on the fire, and then we'll gather in the wheat. Uh, and you see it, you know, that those sort of uh, bins with holes in, it's just such a great picture. He says, just get rid of it, we'll burn it, and we'll get, rid, get on with the good wheat. That's what he says. That's the story. But Jesus has, Jesus has kind of grabbed the attention, hasn't he? Maybe, he's, maybe he wouldn't quite grab the attention for us in quite the same way because we're not quite into the farming thing. We're not into the idea of, of weeds and wheat and all of that sort of thing. Now, guys, put yourself in the, in the shoes of the first century hearer. Do you see how important it is to do that? We've got to hear it and say, okay, what does this mean? 
It's Jesus who told this story, and he said, the kingdom of heaven is like this. I guess as many people heard that, it seems fairly clear, as many people heard that, they went away, and interesting story, maybe a bit sort of bemused. It would add to the pile of things that were going on in their thinking about this strange rabbi teacher who wandered around, looked like a peasant, and uh, taught in a, in a way that they found amazing. Nobody had ever told, taught like this before. Uh, and yet at the same time, they found that he wasn't turning over uh, all of the heritage of their teaching. He seemed to be confirming it. They'd go away home. But the disciples did something else. Uh, he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. You know, tell us what it meant. What did it mean when you told that story? They at least got this. Uh, and maybe other people got it as well. They at least understood, when you say the kingdom of heaven is like this, we need to understand why it is like this. What is going on? This kingdom that you're establishing, what's going on? And why do we need to understand it? He says, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. Jesus. Son of man is sowing good seed. The field is the world. And the good seed stands for the sons of the evil one. Sorry, the, the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. And the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out His angels and they will weed out of His kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of the Father. He who has ears, let him hear. That's what Jesus says. I've told you this story. The disciples come to him and say, now please explain it to us. We want to understand what's going on here. And the first thing he says, right, you need to understand, I am the one who is establishing this kingdom. He says, the seed that is sown, the good seed that is sown, is sown by me. It's sown by the Son of Man. Jesus comes along and he says, the new kingdom... The kingdom of heaven begins with me. And you need to understand that if the farmer has an enemy uh, and I am the farmer, then I've got an enemy. And the enemy is Satan, the devil. Uh, we went through last week, if you, were, if you were here, we asked the question, what about ghosts? And we, we opened up the whole idea of a supernatural world. Jesus reinforces that here. He's saying, you might not see it, you might not understand it at this point in time, but please understand that there is a whole supernatural world. There is a fight of good against evil. I have an enemy. I am the, I am the son of man. I am the one who is planted, sowing good seed. And I do have an enemy, Satan, who is going to come along and is going to establish evil, the ongoing evil, bad things going on. Evil people who are, who are against, what is the, the identification? Those who are either uh, with me or with the devil. Those who are for me. If Jesus said, if you are for me, 
Uh, those who are not for me are against me. It's quite simple. He, Jesus, in one statement, uh, splits the entire population of the world. It's, that's, that's radical, isn't it? It's, that's in your face. He's saying there are two groups of people in this world. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what your experience is. You're either for me or you're against me. Wow. Uh, and therefore, he's saying... The kingdom of heaven, and this is really important, the kingdom of heaven is established now. It's now. The kingdom of heaven is now. And it's, it's made up of those who are my people. Those who have, if you like, heard the message from the Son of Man, accepted it, believed it, become a part of my kingdom. I've established that kingdom now. What does that kingdom look like? Well, it's a kingdom that until the end of the age, until the end of this world, it's going to be surrounded by opposition as well. Isn't that interesting? Jesus comes along and he says, the kingdom starts now. But you won't really see what the kingdom is like until the end of time. But it's started and it's there and it's real. One of the principles of the kingdom of heaven that, you really need, that we really need to kind of get a grip of and understand is that Jesus talks about the kingdom in a number of different ways. He says it is within us. We're going to see that in time. He says the kingdom of heaven is within us. And he says the kingdom of heaven is outside of us. It's both. He says the kingdom of heaven is now and the kingdom of heaven is in the future. It's now and not yet. It's going on now and it's in the future. That's what he's saying here. The kingdom of heaven is established now by those who live in the world. We who believe in Jesus Christ are part of the kingdom of heaven. It's now. But at the same time, it's not fully realized, it's not fully understood until the end of time when it's fully seen. What does that kingdom look like? Because we've got to ask the question... If, if Machiavelli talked about power in position, you know, s- subduing people, and then we start talking about Jesus coming in and saying, I'm going to establish a kingdom. Does that mean that Jesus' kingdom is all about his power over us? Him kind of imposing his power on me. Him kind of forcing me into this straitjacket. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 9, before this, verse 35, it says this. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. The kingdom of Jesus is one that frees us and liberates us and releases us from the oppressive, damaging, awful power of sin in this world. That's what the kingdom does. It frees us. It's not about Jesus imposing his power, forcing us to obey him, so it's at our cost that he gets elevated. At our cost... We get pushed down so that he gets lifted up. That is a world, 
a worldly kingdom. That's a kingdom that is filled with the ideas of our political systems. The kingdom of heaven is different. It's a kingdom where Jesus says, my kingdom, being part of my kingdom, releases you, frees you, liberates you, takes away pain, takes away suffering. You'll see it in the future when those who are part of my kingdom will shine like the sun we see there, verse 43. The righteous will shine like the sun. One of the great things about the kingdom of Jesus is the outcome is good for us. One of the things about kingdoms in this world, the ideas of kingdoms, is it it doesn't really work like that. There is an elite, there is always an an elite that make more out of the kingdom at the expense of others. That's the kingdom principle of this world. We see it marginally in the most democratic of societies. We see that there is an elite who make out of the kingdom. You know, we don't need to delve into the issues of the um, uh, uh, politicians' expenses to see that there are, there are those who make out of the kingdom. There are, there are other situations where we can see it clearly. You know, the fact that we're in the right place at the right time for government grants and we, we do well out of it or, or we're, we're connected to the right people and the political system works for us so that we kind of elevate ourselves How is that working? It's at the expense of others, at the expense of taxpayers. In the most democratic of societies, the kingdom is there to serve a smaller number of people at the expense of others. And Machiavelli had it absolutely right that the way to keep a kingdom maintained is to try to make sure that the balance of making on the kingdom is outweighed by the balance of the benefit of being part of the kingdom. You know, we look at our political systems and friends, we've got to accept they never successfully deliver We're about to go through, you know, the joys of another election, aren't we? Another general election. How often do do people say, you know, I I just don't trust any of them. (laughs) I don't trust any of them. Why do we feel like that? Because every kingdom, every empire or every political system that tries to be implemented... It can never be perfectly implemented. It can never be implemented absolutely for the good of everyone. George Orwell had it right with with his portrayal of of the, the utopian idea of everybody equal, but eventually the pigs stand up on their hind legs and look like men because that's our nature. We will always create kingdoms which elevate others or elevate ourselves if we're in the right place at the right time at the expense of others. And yet the kingdom of heaven is different. And it's different in this way. Oh yeah, it's about elevating Jesus. But whenever, we've got to understand that that one of the key principles of the Bible is this. Whenever we elevate Jesus, we gain the benefit. (laughs) We gain the benefit. God never demands things of us at our expense. 
He never takes things from us at our expense so that us committing to him means that we somehow have to pay to be part of a kingdom that it's eventually worthwhile us paying into. He's, he's got, he doesn't need anything from us. That's the, that's the very idea of the kingdom of heaven. He doesn't need anything from us. Therefore, he can just give and give and give. And he can say, you can, be, you can be part of my kingdom. You can shine like the sun. Being part of my kingdom elevates you. Recognizing my son uh, as, as the, the, the king of this kingdom. It's just going to be great for you. It's going to elevate you. I will never, never take from you at the cost to be part of my kingdom. It will always be good for you. See how different the kingdom of heaven is in the economy of God. Imposition of power? No. Recognition of power and glory? Yes. But as soon as we recognize it, we get lifted up. Jesus speaks about the good news of the kingdom. He comes in with kingdom power and as soon as he starts talking and about the good news of the kingdom, alongside it... People are healed from every disease and sickness. That's the picture. My kingdom doesn't cost you. My kingdom pours out benefits. And now I, say, I, I would say, now how does this, what does this mean for us? It means that we are in a kingdom now which might not look as, it, as if it's having goodness poured out on it. But we look forward to a time We look forward to a time in one of two ways. We should look forward to a time when this kingdom is finally seen, finally established. We know when that's going to be because Jesus tells us. It's at the end of the age when I send in the harvesters, the angels, who will separate out the good wheat from the bad wheat. Uh, And the bad wheat will be separated from me. I I will not keep it. I will not keep it. It will be sent away. It will be shifted away. It will be considered refuse, garbage. We will consider it to be thrown on the bonfire. You know, the medieval world took these kind of ideas and it started to decide that that means that hell is this sort of, this continually burning place (laughs) where there's flames everywhere. And I don't believe the Bible actually says that. Yes, it uses those words again and again. But it uses those words to try to say it is a place of intense separateness from God. It's a place where everything which is considered refuse is disposed of. So we can look at this and say there is going to come a time when the kingdom of heaven will be established. And it's about being separated from God. Wow. Jesus says, you need to understand what the kingdom is like. It will be seen ultimately for what it truly is. But the other great thing is, if we trust in Jesus now, we are already part of that kingdom. We're already part of a kingdom which is the same as though it's completely finalized, as though it's there with Jesus now. We're as secure in in the kingdom now as we are at that point in time. Jesus says, that's how safe being in the kingdom is. That's how you can live in this world now and be surrounded by things going on, 
by be surrounded by pressures and oppression and difficulty and hardship, and yet you can be confident that being in the kingdom now means that you will be in the kingdom in the future. And it will be a perfect kingdom. You know, the great thing is, I'm glad, I'm glad, and we should all be glad, because we all want this. We all want evil to be banished. You want evil to be banished as much as I do. You want evil to be banished when it affects you. You know, when somebody, somebody does something against you, when somebody steals from you or hurts you, you want that to be dealt with. It's called justice, and we want justice. It's a right thing. It's a good thing. The great news is that the kingdom of heaven is that justice will finally be de delivered in every situation completely by a God who will deal with everything justly at the last day. And yet this kingdom is established by one who comes into the world, becomes part of the mess, becomes part of the pain, becomes part of the suffering, and then ultimately dies in this field of wheat and weeds. Isn't that amazing? He doesn't sit out and say, the kingdom of heaven is like, and throws ideas out without ever being part of it. He actually enters into it. He becomes surrounded by the pain and the suffering. And he ultimately gives himself over to it. And yet triumphantly, victoriously, delivers those who believe and trust in him from the effects of that pain and suffering and death and hardship. It's great news. The kingdom of heaven is like. It's like a field which establishes the kingdom now. And we'll see it finally one day. We'll wait if we trust in Jesus. The final thing is, I guess in a real way, one of the hopes of this message is that Jesus delivers good news. So perhaps you don't even realize yet that you're wheat. <laughs> perhaps you haven't even got that. Perhaps you haven't even seen that I need to follow and trust in Jesus. But you will do. Jesus is calling you. If this kind of springs into your mind and you say, there's so many things there that resonate with me. I don't want a world which is filled with horror. I want to live forever in a place which is perfect. I want to live in a place where our, my issues are dealt with. You say, yeah, that, that's the kind of world we want to live in. That's the kind of kingdom I want to be a part of forever. And, and Jesus says, I'm the one who's delivered that kingdom through me. I want to encourage you to keep on reading, keep on thinking, uh, and to turn to that one who delivers hope for all of eternity.